The Accutron Show. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. With your host, Bill McCuddy, and contributors, Scott Alexander and David Graver. I had a love for beauty. Knew nothing about cars, but I loved beauty. Whether it's a painting, I was just drawn to beauty. I guess because of the ugliness that I came from. Beauty inspired me. And so I love these cars. That was Elliot Cooker. He's a raconteur and a uh, kind of a car nut that we're going to talk to about what's what makes a, an investable or a beautiful or a collectible automobile. He has some great uh, opinions. He's also going to tell us about working with Rudy Giuliani and getting him into a dress, which is a great story. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by uh, Scott Alexander on my left. He's a, a, a writer and raconteur. I have Rudy Giuliani into a dress. <laughs> or out of one? Yeah. I have no desire to see Rudy Giuliani in a dress. <laughs> And that's David Graver from Cool Hunting. Uh, We are discussing today on the Accutron Show things that are uniquely uh, collectible in the car world. And Elliot uh, has been in New York kind of a fixture here. Uh, You'll see him on Law & Order episodes as an actor. uh, And he has written and produced for a a lot of different shows and productions. But he's a big car guy. So I guess my first question to you two is, what's the first car you had? Do you remember your first car? I had a Bronco 2. Really? Uh, which oh, is a man. very weird car. So, like, the original Broncos are very collectible now. Right, the, the Bronco 2 was the one that tipped <laughs> over when you went around curves too fast. It was really tall and boxy, and uh, it had four-wheel drive, which was exciting at the time. But, uh, yeah, it's it's sort so of Bronco like, 2 was short for too top-heavy. It's a, it's a yeah. classic, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> David, your first car. Oh, I had a 1989 Chevy Corsica. <laughs> And oh my, it was, no one likes a bragger. It How was teal, teal in coloration, except for the rust. And it was a good car to learn how to drive in, right. but a terrible car to be seen in, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm guessing velour interior. It was, it was basically velour interior. Actually, yeah, I think you're correct. But ran well and was a... It, fu- it got me to school and back. It was horrible. <laughs> I, li- I survived. Uh, well, my mom got me in northern Michigan a 1965 Mercedes 220 SE that oh she my. traded to somebody for uh, an interior design job that she did. And it looked amazing. It had a stick shift on the column. And about six months into it, it like it turned into it, it was all Bondo. So it like oh, right. it started rusting everywhere, and we'd kind of been had by somebody that uh, was a friend of yeah, hers. Yeah, you see so. that uh, medallion on the front, and you're like, I'm in a Mercedes, <laughs> this is so exciting. And then like, I'm in a terrible Mercedes. It was like Fred Flintstone's car. After about six months, you could put your feet through the floor and go running. Yeah, so Elliot is going to talk to us about a beauty and and how it is in the eye of the collector and I think uh, I think he's going to tell us largely about some of the foreign cars. He started out as, believe it or not, as an actor driving people to Studio Fifty Four and uh, and acting gigs and stuff. And he has some great stories about that. But uh, he also has a, a a uniquely American car that he likes, and he's a watch collector. So he'll join us and talk a little bit about some of that. And and perhaps design in general, I'm very curious about, because right now in the world of design, we're celebrating so much re-release, reintroduction, so much retro stylings. 
is design is design right now boring? Is it uninteresting? Why do well, we keep looking to the design past? Is over, new design right? over? Why are we looking so much to the past? Yeah. Why is the it, is there a defining design play? of twenty twenty? Is there? Yeah, cars well, look like a you Tylenol. You can never They're, see these things. I remember in the nineties looking at people's fashion in the nineties, and you looked at it and you kind of went, "Is there a fashion?" <laughs> and now looking back twenty years later, you can see, "Oh yes, there right. was a style. It was sort of like." Banana Republic chic or something like we rushed through celebrating the 80s. We're rushing through celebrating the 90s. Everyone wants to rush, rush, rush retro. Get the next. uh, Get the next. I'm nostalgic for 2018. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd be hard pressed to pick a beautiful car today that I would want to own and think that maybe I could pass it down to the next generation. The new Corvette with a mid engine looks kind of interesting, but uh, I can never say no to a Mustang. Any Mustang? Really? I mean, the Mustang too. (laughs) <laughs> they screwed you on the Bronco, and I think maybe too. that Mustang too was not what you'd want either. Uh, they the, Spike uh, Firestein, who does a show on Esquire, if they're still on Esquire Network, he was a writer for and a friend of Jerry Seinfeld, uh, helps people. He's kind of a car whisperer, uh, buy things. He's also a comedy writer. And he says if you go to any parking lot right now, every car is either black, white, or silver. Oh, There's not, they, and if you try that, if you're listening right now and you're driving around, try that because it'll stun you. The, the odd red or green car is an, a complete anomaly. I was an anomaly. I had um, a Kingfisher Blue Bentley Flying Spur in, um, in 2014. Blue? Wow. What, yes. even, what even is Kingfisher? Oh, it's bright. It's like a neon electric bright blue. It turned heads. Perhaps they are not paying the you way, way too much at Cool Hunting. <laughs> <laughs> so explain how you came to own that, or, or be Bentley a part of reached that. out to Cool Hunting and said, "Would you like to design a vehicle? If you do, and you, you can, said no, <laughs> never." <laughs> they said, "If you if you do, you can have it for a year with a driver, and then we'll sell it afterward." So for a year, I was taking a Bentley five blocks to work. Wow. <laughs> wow. If I didn't hate you before, and I kind of did now, really. The color was so, too ostentatious. It's, it screamed, and people screamed back. They definitely thought I was a tacky person. So they're bespoke. That's their whole thing, that Indeed. you really do design it like uh, a Bentley or Rolls Royce from ground up. So how bespoke did it get? What was in yours? Down to the color of the stitching. Like We were able to use our Cool Hunting Green to stitch the color um, on the seats. And who chose the Kingfisher? That was not my decision. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a bold you. decision. And that... bold decisions are sometimes rewarded. That's right. <laughs> right? Sometimes. From the time they approached you or you, they, and you said, let's do this, and you designed it, how long does it take to build a Bentley to get it to you? It takes about a year. A year? Yeah. How does that business model work? <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, and it really... That is what it takes that to go find takes. your color cattle. And, and do you know what happened to it after you guys were done? It, it did sell. Uh, was it auctioned or? I actually don't remember. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all, all we know is we got an alert that it had sold and for the asking price. Nicest but, car you've ever ridden in. None I've of us read, are going to be able to compete with that. I've ridden in a few Rolls Royces, yeah. you know, but uh, just on the odd sort of novelty, someone's wedding or someone's funeral or <laughs> – these tend to be the, the times that I'm in a fancy car. <laughs> and as Ogilvy said, was the loudest thing you could hear the the clock ticking. Oh, it's it is remarkable. You close that door in a Rolls Royce and thump, and it's like it's almost like you're in a vacuum. Rolls Royce took me to uh, the Greenwich Auto, sh- uh, you know, concourse yeah. a couple of years ago, and one of the cars it didn't break down, but it hit a pothole and it had the super low profile tires and it had a flat. They said back at 
the closest Rolls Royce dealer, it's like an emergency, go, like a, a siren goes off and they get to whoever's had any kind of a breakdown in a Rolls Royce or a Bentley as quickly as humanly possible. And this was on a Sunday morning. It blew my mind. They were there in 20 minutes with another Corniche <laughs> convertible to drive off. And I was told this was not special treatment. You just swap this it This is out. what they do for- For other clients. Yeah, for all their clients. Do either of you keep a car in the city? I have, yeah. yeah. Uh, I do. Yeah. I have a driveway. Though. Oh, so what? That makes a difference. That's Brooklyn living for you. It's <laughs> clean living out in Brooklyn with the, with the driveways and the. Yards. Don't you run into all sorts of, of friction? Children. <laughs> <laughs> uh, having a driveway. If you have a car in New York City, it's a nightmare because it's like having a pet. If you go out of town, it needs to be walked. It needs to be moved <laughs> from you know alternate sides yeah. of the street. So you got to get a friend to take care of it and whatever else. I can. I was in LA for ten days and um, just parked it in my driveway. So that makes all the difference. It really does change the entire equation. You always have a parking spot right outside your house, and you can leave it alone for any length of time. When I worked in film, we had a production – I had a a vehicle, and we had a production budget that allowed me to park the car in a garage three days a week. I had to find parking the other four um, on the street. It gets tiring. That meant uh, being towed twice, and it meant, I think, six or seven tickets. Yeah. Oh, People yeah. from outside of Manhattan can't believe if you have a car in New York City. They think that's unbelievable. And the one thing I have learned in 20 years of driving around Manhattan is the last thing a livery car or a cab wants to do is get in, a, in an accident with you. So you, even as crazy as all a lot of cab drivers drive, I've never been hit and I've never and I've often seen somebody swerve out of their way to not hit me because that completely destroys their whole day. My car got hit by a cab, but it was parked. Got, got rear-ended <laughs> the by cab? a cab. You know, my car was right. My car was parked in, and it was a, I would say the insurance companies they deal with are not necessarily the best. <laughs> it is a luxury. Uh, there's no question, but some people do it. And some people keep cars in Manhattan. And uh, one of them is our next guest who has on Perry Street, I think he in keeps the village. more than one in Manhattan. He has a an entire garage filled with them. So uh, we will meet him and learn all about what's classic and collectible. And I think he's wearing a watch, and it might be something old. And so we'll ask him about that. Elliot Cooker joins us on the Accutron Show. Don't go away. The world runs on Accutron time. Accutron watches since 1960 from New York City to around the world. Welcome back. Gentlemen, start your engines. We are here vroom, with, vroom. Uh, with uh, an, an aficionado of all things V8, V12, and V16. He is uh, Elliot Cooker, who I've known for a long time now, actually. Elliot is a fixture around the uh, the older car market and has a fascinating background in acting, in producing, writing. But we're here to talk first and foremost about automobiles. Elliot, welcome to the Accutron well, Show. it's nice being here. Thank you. So you have a very valuable little piece of uh, real estate in Greenwich Village, which is uh, in the yes. middle of a very expensive neighborhood. Absolutely. But when I got there in that neighborhood, let me just give you a little perspective. I had a four-room apartment on the corner of 10th and Hudson. I was an unemployed actor and I was paying $125 a month for my rent. That's doubled by now, hasn't it? <laughs> it's, a lot, it's a lot more. 
And so I'm actually a pioneer in the West Village, you know, and I think I, I had the first big deal with a, in real estate in a building that I used at the time, you know, for cars. Uh, when I first started out, you know, it was a crazy, crazy beginning. You know, I had a, did you know I had a company called Cooper Rolls-Royce Limousine Service? I had the first Rolls-Royce Limousine Service and the idea of getting married in a Rolls-Royce. That was me. That was you? I created That's that you? in the United States. It started in New York. And I, and I would. Uh, Did rent. you drive? Actually, oh, Did yeah, you yeah, yeah. Well, he he has the problem. You see, you were my, Bitterman. You were in Arthur. Remember, Bitterman was the guy that drove Arthur all around. Oh, that was my car. Now, come on, the Arthur car was my car. Really, the Rolls Royce, the, the yellow that was my and car, my personal car, the yellow and, yeah. and black Rolls Royce driver. Nine, <laughs> That's his daily it was a nineteen fifty four silver wraith with P one hundred headlights. Oh my god! Yeah, that was my. It's a small island. It's carpeted. Uh, Dudley Moore was just unbelievable. That was, by the way, a very bad Dudley Moore impression uh, in that motion picture. And uh, and yeah, Liza yeah, Minnelli. Yeah, he was he he was he was great. But um, yes, and so uh, I start in that area. And uh, when I left acting, see, my name is Cuker. But when I decided. I needed extra money and theater wasn't going well and I couldn't take rejection. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm from a real meat and potatoes background. So when I told my parents I was going to the theater, they looked at me as if I wasn't their son. They said, who is this guy? (laughs) And and it caught up to me. And uh, when I thought I wasn't really making enough money or doing well, I decided to do something else. And I had a Bentley at the time. And so I decided what I'm going to do is I am going to rent out my Bentley with myself as chauffeur. But that was the worst thing you could do because I was an artist, a serious artist. So my name's Cuker, right? So what I wanted to do was I wanted to use a British name because I had a British car. So I put an ad in New York Magazine saying personable young man with Rolls Royce. I even you see, I, I didn't say Bentley because nobody knew what a Bentley was back then. <laughs> right. Seriously. So for hire, it's too strong, yeah. Americans so, look at a Bentley, they go, look at that Rolls Royce. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I said, you know, three hours minimum. And I said, call Cooper. So I thought oh, that right. would sound good. So Very here classic. I was, my $125 a month apartment, all right? And somebody would call me. And the first call was very funny. It was, it was this guy who lived literally on 10th Street, not too far from me, wanting to be driven to the Bette Midler concert on 48th <laughs> and Broadway, right? So I would answer the phone. Hey, Coupe here. May I help you? Of course. You like to rent a, a Rolls Royce? Well, sure. We have one available on that evening. I think we do, but let me just double check. Yes, you're, you're in luck. We have a we have a car for you. Would you really put on an English accent? Oh, to I speak That's just. Hilarious. I would speak. Oh, of course, Cooper. And I said, by the name, oh, by the way, your, your chauffeur's name will be Elliot. And if you like him, you can give him gratuity if you like. So it's a true story, one hundred percent. So I spent three days cleaning my car because I felt like I was renting out my bedroom. It was my personal car. So I arrived, I got out of the car, and these two young, nice guys came to me and I said, hi, I'm, I'm Elliot and I have to collect three hours in advance. And he said, why in advance? I said, look, I, I just drive, call Cooper. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the boss. <laughs> so I had two people working for me. Cooper took the calls and Elliot would drive. And that's how... The whole thing with the Rolls Royce. Did you park a Rolls Royce or a Bentley on the street in those days? Could you do that? Not comfortably, but I did have one stolen in front of Studio 54. I had, what happened was the business started to escalate. Within a year, I had one Bentley. Within a year, I think I had six. 
and I would use my active friends as chauffeurs. And so I had this one guy who would, very low-key guy, but whenever he said, we have a situation here, you knew there was a problem. So I got a call one o'clock in the morning, and John called me and said, uh, Elliot, I think we have a situation. I said, John, what's wrong? Well, I took these people to Studio 54. I let them out. I walked to the lobby. I came back. The car was gone. I said, what do you mean it's gone? I don't know. I was just gone for a couple of seconds. And so I immediately went up there. I had a little 190SL at the time. I started driving around. And there we found my car two blocks away on <laughs> 52nd between, uh, between Broadway and 8th, parked in the middle of the road. See, Back then, the cars were a little complicated <laughs> if you didn't know how to drive them. Was it a so stick? Well, well, no, it was roses are like that, right? And was they, it they right-hand drive? This one was left-hand drive. Most of them were right-hand drives. The right-hand drive cars are cheap. But there were two switches uh, that you had to have on both uh. at the same time. And apparently, the guy tried to steal the car. It didn't have it on right. And it, the car stopped. He didn't, couldn't get it started. So he took off. And there was my car uh. in the middle of the road. And that same car. Why became, did Mick Jagger take your car, though? That's <laughs> Mick Jagger? We're trying to think of any of the regulars at Studio 54 that might have stumbled out and thought that was your automo- oh, their I'm, automobile. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, it could have been a lot there that took it. But that, that same car belonged to John Wayne. How's that? that? Wow. And, and you probably saw the car, and I'll tell you what you saw it. Did you ever see Uptown Girl? Yeah. yeah. Video? Sure. You of see course. that car driving in? Oh, yeah. yeah. That was my car. I bought it from John Wayne. And what he did was he had a chauffeur, African-American chauffeur go to England and buy it for him. And he had him take care of it and pick him up whenever he wanted to. And at the end, he gave him the car and I bought the car from him. Wow. That was, oh, wow. That was John Wayne's car. In New York, whenever the guy, or you brought it. Whenever, he, whenever John, in New York. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The guy's name was Zando. I can't believe I'm remembering this. So where do you go from collect, to, to collecting from driving around? How, well, what, what, no, what happened was this. So all of a sudden I had all of it, all these Rolls Royces. And so I, I, I couldn't rent from a garage anymore. So I had to have my own space. So there was this, uh, this was a terrible period in real estate in New York. Um, at the time we were really going down under and you could buy buildings for nothing. And there was early seventies. When are we talking about now? It was mid seventies. Uh-huh. Okay. Mid seventies. And, um, I remember I was keeping a couple of cars in this building uh, between, uh, on Perry between Greenwich and Washington. And uh, Display Tech was the name of the company. This guy would make displays. And he had, it was a 1,600 square feet building. And in one section, he would rent it to people in the area. So I put a couple of cars there. But it became such a problem for him because every time somebody wanted to move a car, they have to go to him. And he'd have to ask the other guys to move their cars to get them out of the way. So I said, look. Why don't you let me rent the entire space here? You don't have to rent it to people to park there. And uh, he said, fine. So I put all my cars there. And then one day, about four months afterwards, he came down to me and he said, Elliot, I'm leaving. I said, what do you mean you're leaving? So <laughs> I'm leaving. I said, what do you mean you're leaving? I, I've got a business here. So that's up to you. I'm going. He was renting the business, right? So I remained in there. There was nobody else there. And I, uh, after about three months, somebody walked in and looked at me and said, what are you doing here? I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? What are you doing here? I've got a business. I'm running a, I'm running a business here. Ah, New York in the 70s. And he said to me, I'm the broker here. He said, get out. I said, what do you mean, get out? I'm, I can't just leave like that. So I, he said, look, we're trying to sell the building. Okay? I said, fine. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you personally $500 cash every month. Let me stay here until you find a buyer. Okay. I said, fine. I stayed there. 
And next thing you know, I'm staying there three months, four months. I'm running my business with my cars. Uh, next thing you know, I'm thinking there's a lot of wasted space here. So I started renting out space next to me. And, and then I started... <laughs> And then there was somebody that wanted to rent the upstairs to put furniture there. So I called up Stanley. That was his name, Stanley Riker. I said, Stanley, I've got to store some furniture upstairs. I'll give you some more money. Can you do that for me? He said, okay. He said, fine. Another three months go by. I'm there probably about eight months. He comes in and he's screaming, Elliot, Elliot, where the hell are you? I come and say, what's wrong, Stanley? He said, what's, what's going on upstairs? The whole place is rented. I said, Stanley, you said I could rent it to put furniture there. Said, I thought you meant like a dining room table. You have like a thousand oak tables there. You have 500 chairs. The whole place is. And so I started, I was doing auctions of this furniture there as well. During during being in this building for almost a year, literally just paying him 500, then a couple hundred dollars more, I saved enough money when he said to me the, the next time he came down, get out, I want you out of here. I said, what do you want for the building? He said, we're asking 175. As I tell you what, I'll make you an offer of 150 and I'll give you $25,000 cash. He said, get out of here. I said, I'm serious. He said, you're serious? Yes, yeah. So I gave him $25,000. I, I didn't have a cent when I started. I'm a poor kid. You know, I'm a Holocaust survivor. I don't know if you know that or not. So no. I, I, I was a poor kid, everything, you know, no money to speak of. So I, I was able to put this money together. I bought the building. Now I've got Rolls-Royce limousines, and I need somebody to repair them. So I, I got a mechanic to work for me, repairing my cars. When he wasn't busy, I said, okay, I'm going to do other people's cars. So I turned it into a restoration and sales place called Cooper Classics. That's how it got its name. And that's where you are now, or that was a different building back then? Well, that was a different location. What I did later, uh, about 12, 13 years ago, I sold the building. They developed it. However, I kept the downstairs. So I have the downstairs, plus I have the building across the street. Right. You know, and that also came to me in a crazy way. Everything was crazy. You know, back How did then. you originally get interested in cars? It sounds like even when you had that first Bentley, you had some sort of love for cars prior to that. I had a love for beauty. Knew nothing about cars, but I love beauty. Whether it's a painting, whether it's a woman, whether it's a, a wonderful human being, I was just drawn to mm-hmm. beauty. I guess because of the ugliness that I came from. Mm-hmm. You know, my uh, where I was born in, in the Holocaust, I just needed something. Beauty inspired me. And so I loved these cars. I How old were you them. when you came to this country? Uh, I was about five and a half. The first memory of my life was the Statue of Liberty coming up on top of a ship and all of these emaciated people coming in the middle in the morning with all the clouds and seeing this woman's hand rising above the clouds. And the first memory of my life, I have amnesia before that was the Statue of Liberty, and now my bedroom overlooks the Statue of Liberty. Like Vito Corleone coming in on the story. Yeah, amazing. So that's how Cooper Classic started. But cars in New York City often don't go together. How have you sort of brought that relationship together for your businesses? There are so many things in New York City that don't go together, but when they do go together, (laughs) they become successful. And it's up to us as creative, imaginative people to find a way of, of getting that kind of chemistry. It's using your imagination. You know, I learned all of this from acting, you know, all of it from, you know, I used to teach acting. I'm still a member of the actor studio. You have to imagine and then you have to find the motivation to do it and then how to do it creatively. Everything I ever did in my life has been out of the box. A little improvising. 
Always, day to day. You've acted in films. Your cars have acted in films. Yes. Can you talk about the difference in auditioning? Uh, yeah. Oh, I hate auditioning. Oh, <laughs> I'm t- listen, I go to an audition and I, I did poorly. It would take me two days to recover. I, I mean that sincerely. I just could not take rejection. Couldn't take rejection. The cars were different. I didn't take the person. They were beautiful. And people love my cars. You know, how I... How I Saw my first Rolls Royce is also an incredible story. I'm walking on Christopher Street, right? And the corner of Christopher and Bleecker, there was this uh, silver cloud, Bentley silver cloud. <clears throat> it was a Bentley, right? And in back of the Bentley, there was this guy sitting in the back seat. And I walk by and I look at him. I keep walking. I see him almost every other day there. And then three months go by. And it's a different Rolls Royce there. I'm looking back there. He's just sitting in the back seat. The third Rolls Royce that he gets, a burgundy Silver Cloud 3. I finally go up to him in the back. I say, hey, what's with these Rolls Royces? He says, come on in. I get in the back seat. Get in my office. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Really? Come, that's exactly right. I get in the back seat. We start talking. His name was John Van Means Third. His <laughs> store was right in front, and he was a designer. He would pick up girls this way. The way I would look in... Girls would walk by, they look inside, inside the rear uh, in the window, they say hello. He's like, hi, how are you? Come on in. <laughs> this, was, uh, this is how he got his dates. Back when you could do that. So we had, so this is how I got my, my first Bentley. And so he was a designer. He would make clothing for me for nothing. We were just good friends. One day he says, Elliot, I want to, I got to sell my, my, my Bentley. I'm, I'm leaving the country. He said, you want to buy? I said, well, $6,000, you know. It's my name, I can't buy. Another three, four weeks go by. He said, Elliot, you still have that $6,000? I said, yeah. Bought the car from him. I didn't have a cent left. I didn't have enough money to insure the car. So I found an address in New Hampshire where you don't need insurance. <laughs> <laughs> and the license plate said, live free or die. That's the license plate even to this day, right? right? Yeah. And so I- Insurance I, from insurance, <laughs> live free or die. Right. And, I, and that was my very first Bentley. And- all of a sudden, here I was this unemployed actor that I felt like such a schlub and hardly people would even talk to me. I'd go to the unemployment office and I have to hide my Bentley someplace to get my money, right? And then, uh, <laughs> but I'll the tell Bentley you one thing, before you I would have check. all, I have girls, dates, you know, it was wonderful. And then finally I realized that I needed to sell it. I needed the money, I had to sell it. And uh, I put an ad in the New York Times. Back then you put your ads in the New York Times for sale ads, right? It's, this guy came to the car. This is right-hand drive. He said, I like the car. I need to drive it. I said, well, you can't drive. It's right-hand drive. He said, don't worry about it. If anything happens, I'll take care of it. We're in the car. We're driving again down Christopher Street. And I see a car double parked. And he's driving along. I said, yeah, you're getting close. You're getting close. <laughs> you're getting close. Boom. He takes really? my right fender. And oh. I, I'm telling you, I'm in shock. I, I think tears are coming to my eyes because I can't repair it. He said, look, Elliot, I told you, if anything ever happened, I'll take care of it. Took it to Ralston Motors, which was way uptown on the east side. They repaired the car. I sold the car two weeks later. I made more money in my life selling this car. And I, would, I was doing an off-Broadway play, the, the hostage, Brenda Bean's play. I was making 50 bucks a week. And I sold this car. And I made $6,000. Wow. And you're off. And there huh? you go. Now, you mentioned Billy Joel and you mentioned Dudley Moore. So that's the, was that the same roles in both Uptown Girl? No, and in the, no, okay. no, no, no. Two different cars. One was the John Wayne car was, a, well, they're both, they're actually both left-hand drives. 
One was a 54, one was a 58. The Wayne car was a 58. And just give us a list of some of the other cars that you've had in some of the other motion pictures or some of the other... Oh, gosh, so many. Um, as a matter of fact, there was a, a crazy one. You know, we my company also has Cooper Film Cars, and we provide cars for different shoots and mag- magazines, shots, etc. And we've had a bunch of those cars. You've probably seen them all the time. Taylor Swift, uh, yeah. Oh, so good. she had, remember that? She, we provided her with a Shelby. And that big song of hers, and and this, and all of a sudden she took a golf club. She started smashing up the car. Yeah, oh, that was yeah. that was one of our cars. But we, what about Cruel Intentions? The, oh yeah, did you the have Reese you Witherspoon? Had, did you have the Jag for uh, for Reese Witherspoon? That was what somebody had told me that you did. Oh yeah, the- yeah, 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 yeah. We've done so many of those different things with with uh, with Cooper Film Cars. So when Taylor Swift takes a golf club to one of your cars, like <laughs> what does that look like afterwards? Like what's the story there? Uh, I, I, Say it very, very nicely, as, as much of a gentleman as I can. I said, "Look, if, if you really take the golf club and you hit the car, I'm, I'm gonna, I've got a five iron in my bag. I'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> make sure <laughs> you don't do that. You're no, gonna go have, nickel. They have ways of doing that. You know, they have, they have ways of improvising that. But that's that's how the whole Cooper Classic started. The sales, and now I'm one of the leading classic car. Uh, companies in the world. We so saw what makes all a car, the world. In, in your mind, what makes a car a classic? When does it cross over that line? I guess it's an aesthetic choice. You 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 choose. I made the market in this country with about four different cars specifically. And as an answer to your question, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what I mean. In 1989, I looked at an XKE and I thought, oh my God, what an unbelievable car. What a gorgeous car. They were selling for eight thousand dollars, and I said, "This is ridiculous! Eight thousand for this car?" It's in MoMA that car. I, it is a MoMA. Right. You're absolutely right. A Series One. Right. So what I started to do was I started buying them up. I started buying them up. I was paying um, eight thousand, ten thousand, twelve thousand. So at this point, the car is ten years old, twenty years old, or yeah, yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah. And so I would fix it up, and I I had the only classic car facility in the New York Auto Show uh, display. So I had 12 of them in my facility, sold every one for $85,000, did the same thing with the 280SL, the 280SC 3.5. The Mercedes. So what I would do is I would look at something, you know, I said, this is undervalued. uh, Look, boy, look at Bill. Great looking jaw on this guy. What a handsome. Oh my God, this guy should be in. We need better be lighting. Star. I'm going to buy need better lighting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this guy should be an actor. I mean, why isn't he? A- what I, look, I'm exaggerating. I'm making a joke of it, but the truth oh, is. Wait, I was buying that. You have, you, have, you have to trust your intuition and you have to trust your heart. Right. And if you believe in something, right. and I really did, I thought these particular cars that I love, why aren't people infatuated? Well, I make, I'll make that happen. And that's how I started happening. Look, Bill, you've called me in the past and say, Elliot, you got that much money for that car? Are you crazy? You <laughs> even just did it recently. I've done that, yeah. You did this. Let's yeah. take him for an example. Yeah, you had a he rolls. Call, here he calls me to be on the show, and he says to me in a, in a kind of, he thought it was cute, but it was kind of negative in so way, you know? I said, okay, I don't, I don't take things personally. He says, Elliot, you're asking how much for that Bentley? You wanted 100000 for that Bentley? It's only worth 60000 That's what he says to me. <laughs> it's only worth 60000 And I said, yeah, I did. I sold it for 100000 uh, As a matter of fact, I sold for 102000 Bill. Because <laughs> he's got to eat. He's got to have that no, extra $2,000. No. Bill's the king of the low ball. I sold for 102000 And why? This was such a special car. In my eyes, it was a triple black 
1987 and a half Bentley, which was mechanically a wonderful car, but the car was so elegant. Yeah, it was I good s- looking. I will I give sold you that. to a guy in Alabama. By the way, 60 to 70% of my cars I sell to people who've Around never seen the world. them. Yeah. No, who never see them. Right, online. I right. sold the King of Morocco 30 cars, never saw them. The Saudi Arabian family 20, they never saw them. My description. Because you've got to live up to your description. Right. This guy bought this car in Alabama, never saw the car, but he bought two cars for me a few years back. I will show you in my phone the email I got from him. The car was delivered to him, literally, in the rain. He sent me a text saying, Elliot, I'm in love with this car. <laughs> and my first thought was I could have gotten more than 102000 <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> Why didn't I call before that guy? <laughs> but it sounds so, like you're you're it comes from this deep understanding of of beauty. Like you if you go to a car like a gremlin, you know, by the <laughs> by the numbers, it's a classic. It is, right? but it is. It has but it has its own quirky quality. Yeah, and it yeah, and it, 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 it has its own quirky quality, of course. It does. Right. But you have to appreciate that quirky quality. And the question then is, how do you use that quirky quality? Right. To a benefit. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. even like in the 80s, when your friend is driving around a gremlin, you're like, yeah, Kyle has kind of a crappy car. Right. But now but literally, then they turn it could a be corner. considered a classic. Great right. point. Because the mentality back then, when you're looking at that car, you think, oh, what a cheap little nothing. Right. And then all of a sudden, what, how, what changes? Your perspective changes. Your experiences as a human being changes. Right. And you begin to appreciate things. Like you, go, you look at your relationships that you had 30 years ago, and you say, oh, my God, what was wrong with me? I wish that person was back too, in my life right? now. Do you know I mean, what I mean? Right. It's yeah, the same yeah, thing yeah. with cars. It's uh-huh. a good question for you because you do lease cars to the movies occasionally, and I think the movies do help. I mean, I'm not sure that the Aston Martins would, would be worth – 20 or $30 million if James Bond hadn't driven one. And certainly the AMC Pacer would be in every scrap heap if it weren't for Wayne's World. So I think some of what we see in, in the big screen sort of helps well, sell yeah, some course, cars. But look, but look how the car is framed. By the way, I provided the, the Aston Martin and that, uh, uh, the later Craig, Craig, is that? Daniel Craig. Daniel yeah. Craig, when he was in Bandy Fair, those, the, the Aston Martin. Yours. Yeah. So you look. You get a character like James Bond, right? This handsome creature, and you need something to frame him somehow. Yeah. So they come, but look what they chose. They chose a beautiful aesthetic car. I mean, they didn't choose a gremlin for him. Right. Well, Do you know what and, I mean? And a certain watch, and a certain suit, and a certain. That's yeah. exact. Well, He's that, an icon, and that's. Yeah, that, and, right. and then all of a sudden, it becomes an icon because they all work together. You know, we talk about people. icons all the time on this show, and uh, in in regards to automobiles, yeah, there there are a lot of them that are famous now because they've been in some films. I'm thinking of we tend to bring it around to American icons because yeah. the Accutron is is the sure. watch that that we talk about every time on the show. Tell me a little bit about what your favorite American car is. Would it be one of the Shelbys that? Uh, yeah, I you know I, I not too long ago sold a beautiful Shelby 500. I just think there's something very special about that Mustang fastback design. As a matter of fact, what's interesting about it, I just bought a, uh, I recently sold an Aston Martin, a 1988 X-Pack. And if you look at it at first glance, it almost looks like it. It almost looks like a Shelby 500. Yeah, those, that, those you know? years of that Aston did. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the most fascinating thing about design of any car, sometimes I'm asked to talk to people, et cetera, different subjects. And I talk about design, how fascinating it is because you can learn so much about what was going on 
in the world, what was going on in that person's mind. Imagine, imagine somebody sitting down at a table and saying, who works, let's say, for Jaguar, and says, oh, they want me to design a 1959 Jaguar. What am I going to design? What does he have in front of him? Nothing. Just his brain, his mind. And all of a sudden, he starts to come up with stuff. And what does he come up with? He comes up organically with what's going on inside his head, what's, what's going on in his genitals, what's going on in his fantasy. And he puts it all down into this design, and all of a sudden he has something. He has no idea what he's really created, but he likes it. And then the car goes out there. It's made. Well, by setting that design, you know what happened in the world during that time. Look at a 1959 Cadillac. Look right. at the balls we had in 1959 in this country. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Look at the kind of humor we had. The balls and fins. The balls and chrome. Well, look at that car. Yeah. You don't have to read history books, what happened in 59. Just look at that 1959 Cadillac with yeah. those fins. Yeah. Right? There's, nothing, there's no nuance there, is there? No. It's nothing, there's nothing subtle about it. It's a jet. It's a jet on four wheels. Okay. Well, in the 50s, that's where we were at. That was our mentality. You know, we, we looked at things black and white back then. We wanted strength. We wanted power. And you can look at design of cars. They're sculptures. They really are sculptures. Yeah. So what do you think the designs of today's cars are saying about what's going on? I think they're very dry. Mm -hmm. there's, uh, there's Lack no, of imagination. There's no, there, there's no romanticism. Mm -hmm. Do cars turn you on? Uh, some of these new cars, these cars you see every day? I don't yeah. think they do. Well, no. but back again, huh? this, this thing in the no. 80s, you looked at a Ford Bronco and you went, okay, it's a Ford Bronco. And now I look <laughs> at a 200 grand Ford Bronco <laughs> yeah. and they're beautiful and they have these really distinctive, interesting lines that could only have happened in the 80s. You kind of can't it see crazy it crazy what gets hot. It's, it's just unbelievable that those are like huge collectibles. Bill, I'm going to sell you a car right now. Okay, go ahead. Let's do it. Let's do it live. I have a car that I've owned for the last 15 years. I just had a painted. It's still in the paint shop in the Hamptons, right? All right. And I knew back then that this car was a real sleeper, right? You've seen me in it, I bet. It's a 1972 Chevy Blazer K5. Oh, man. <laughs> I love a Blazer. Didn't Charlton Heston drive that in, like, Volcano or Inferno or Towering? One of those, like, crazy... Maybe, maybe you know film so much better than me. Maybe he did. But this is a car... That is so much more interesting than a Bronco. A Bronco is like a toy compared to it. It's a little bigger. <clears throat> okay, I could put my entire family in it, my my son, my daughter. And What's Leno's line? It seats eight for dinner? Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like huge, yeah. huh? And it drives so much better, and it's so much more interesting. And now, all of a sudden, they're taking off, and I just saw three commercials with that car in them. I just saw one last night, same colors, the blue one as I have. Wow. Anyway, the reason I mentioned it, I just had to paint it, and I'm thinking I've had it on 15 years. I don't want my kids driving, and I don't want my son I driving. I think it's time, it has no, no air, It has no airbags. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Right. We, can, we can afford to lose you Bill. Mean, <laughs> you know? You've been talking to Mrs. McCuddy. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's got that, does it have that houndstooth interior? In the inset, yeah. like leather on the outside and the houndstooth yeah, or the yeah, fabric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's well, a, the Jeep Wagoneers took off like crazy. Those absolutely. are like, there's a guy in Texas, Wagon Master or whatever, making those for like uh, 50, 60, 70, 80 grand. So the K5, Isn't that, isn't huh? that amazing? The, 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 what the they're blazer. charging for these cars? But yeah. there's blazers. It's a, it's a but it does everything. It's fast. And it's is beautiful. it one of the ones that the whole top comes off with like yeah. 20 bolts? It's the whole like, top comes yeah, off. Yeah. 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 Car. Or, you, <laughs> or you can buy a soft top, just... Just yeah, yeah. But that that's that's 
I'm going to, I'm selling it by the way. All right, I'm, I'm interested. I'm sure it'll be overpriced. Elliot, um, you've been uh, in recent years. You've gotten more into art, like fine art collecting. Um, how do you, how did you know I like art? Well, I, a little birdie <laughs> told me uh, that you got some stuff hanging on the walls down at the, ga- yeah, down at the no, garage. Quite a, I've got, I love my art. Can you talk at all about the similarities between collecting art and collecting cars? Oh yeah, of course. Such a similarity. Well, look. I, I was lucky because when I was starting my company and, you know, and I was selling these classic cars, a lot of artists came to me who didn't have much money, so we did barter. Andy Warhol used to come to my workers with a little shopping bag, not a little bag under his arm, okay, like a newsboy with his interview magazines, handing them out to, to my employees at the time, right? So different artists came to me and uh, I would do barter. I would trade a car, I get some money for the car, plus painting. So I developed a, a nice collection from that. You know, I still have Andy Warhol paintings. I still have, I have uh, Julian Schnabel's so portrait again, and dishes, by the way. You were again <laughs> betting on these works that you thought were going to be worth something someday. The same way with the cars. You, right, you saw the this same jag aesthetic. and you said that, someone's going to love that in 10 years. You know something? Beauty always multiplies in value. I don't care what it is. If you see a beautiful shoe, save it. Because in 50 years, you'll get 100,000 for it. Right. Because that's going to be my next question. How do you start collecting something? Like, you got to work on yourself and, and develop you know, your own sense of beauty within, so to speak. I mean, I'm being facetious. I think that's true. You know, but I, th- I think basically it all starts with yourself. It all starts with your exploration and your own involvement and finding out what's meaningful to you and what really is beautiful to you. And everybody else has their own source of what's beautiful to them. That's why what's, you know, what's beautiful to you or beautiful to you is not necessarily beautiful to me because we're all put together differently. So we always say, buy what you like in old watches, old cars. That's exactly. Old so, buy what you like. Yeah. I collect watches too. This is an old Breitling. You're wearing you know, a bright line? Yeah. yeah, but it's an old, it's an old one, and it's great. I love, I love looking at it. I love looking at the... But that's how you find the headroom in the market, right? Because if you're buying what you think everyone else wants, that, that market's already run up, right? So you, you need to buy something like you saw these Jags that were going for eight grand yeah. that were undervalued. It wasn't so you saw they were undervalued. You just saw they were beautiful. That's and because exactly you had your right. own That's personal... exactly right. I'm thinking, why, why is something money and value? You know, money is a very complex thing. Money uh, is a symbol more than anything else, you know. And when you see something beautiful, how do you determine what you want to give somebody for it? How do you determine that? But you know that eventually when enough enough people find that jag beautiful and they've got to have it, there are going to be 10 people bidding for that car because 10 right. people think something's beautiful. Right. And somebody's I got to have it. No, no, I got to have it. No, no, I want to look at it every day. Well, too bad, okay? But boom, that's what happens. Don't you think there are gatekeepers along the way though? People protecting a certain genre or decade of watches, of cars, of art? You're talking about branding experts, so to speak. I'm I'm saying that all generally speaking. Yeah, I mean, I can convince you right now that something may be very beautiful. Sometimes I'll do that. I'll look at something, I'll tell somebody, do you realize how you know uh, how wonderful that is. And I mean, the you person, sold Bill a car earlier. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, well, I, I know when well, this is over, he's going to say, "Tell me a little about that car. How much you want for it?" <laughs> and I'm going to ask at least ten thousand more than he's going to pay for. It. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
Well, Damn it's, telling, Elliot. it's telling a story, right? Yeah. It's, it's creating a narrative. It's... Yeah, but you know, honestly, everything we've discussed right now, it's all about beauty. Yeah. Uh, we talked a lot about the Shelby and, and some of the things that what makes a classic. Is there anything we can buy today that you think will be investable or will appreciate the, the new Corvette that's coming out or anything that's that you can drive into or walk into a showroom today and buy? Or something that you think is beautiful. I know nothing about new cars. Absolutely nothing about new cars. I mean that sincerely. I flunk every question you would ask me about a new car. Do you feel like Rolls Royce is keeping up the uh, design end? Are, well, are the new know, ones as good as the old ones? Um, no, I think there's something a little garish about the new Rolls Royce. It's like in your face. It's trying too hard. Mm-hmm. I think it's just trying too hard to be something. Right. Um, I think that the uh, some of the 80s Rolls Royces you know, the early 90s are going to really come into play because some of them were very... So that's kind of a sweet spot now. These are going to be true classics in I a few so. years. You know, you can buy a first-class 1978, 77 Rolls-Royce, first-class, $15,000. Not from you. You could. You really could. Yeah, I know, and and but the the rule there is that better have a a, a maintenance log that's uh, two or three inches thick, so that everything's been done to it. Because you're the mineral breaking right. system can be you're, another fifteen. You're right? that's like, you've had one, haven't you? No, no, I just know. How come you know so much about well, it? I keep reading your ads. I keep going to your website. Someday you'll get me, and maybe in this K five, which is uh, I would say one of your more uh, American offerings, the uh, the oh, blazer. Yeah, it's, it's so Americana. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. That's what we celebrate on this show, and uh, what a fabulous and fantastic career you have had. We appreciate that you've dropped oh, by and talked to us. Elliot Cooper, the website is... Uh, CooperClassicCars.com We have been talking uh, American and foreign cars with a uniquely American guest. He is Elliot Cooker. And Elliot, thanks so much for joining us on well, the Accutron thank Show. You. Thank you for asking me all of these questions and making my life a little more meaningful to myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thanks, thank Elliot. <laughs> on behalf of Cool Hunting's David Graver and Bon Vivant Scott Alexander, I'm Bill McCuddy for The Accutron Show. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Accutron Show. To hear all our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. For upcoming guests as well as behind-the-scenes action, follow us on Instagram at AccutronWatch. From the 29th floor of the Empire State Building, until next time, Accutron time. Set your tuning forks.